Hey everyone, welcome to Giant Bomb Presents. This is Austin Walker, and today I am joined by Heather Alexandra, who is the latest uh, guest contributor as part of our guest contributor program. Thanks for joining me, Heather. Hey, wow, thank you. This I, I'm so excited to be here. This is I've waited. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's taken a little speak. while. I think it's fair. We don't have to like dance around it. I first contacted you about being part of the program forever ago, uh, and it's it's. You know, it turns it was, out that it was last year. It was literally last year. It was a different year, not a different fiscal year yet, but a no, different no, year. No, not that. Um, and I'm so happy that you, that you can be here. Your piece will be running uh, alongside this this podcast, uh, and this is going to be just a short little chat with you about about who you are and and kind of like why you write about games and and what got you into those, and maybe a little bit about the piece. My hope is to do these with a lot of the guest contributors that we bring on, just as a way to introduce everyone to to who you are and and kind of you know what what your background is. So, how long have you been playing games? Playing games? Um, so I didn't really have a game console growing up. I, mm-hmm. I had a neighbor who had an NES that I would go over, go over there and we would play it before getting on, on the school bus. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I absolutely loved it. And then finally I begged my father enough that he got me a Sega Genesis. Um, and then I just sort of kept up from there. Something I didn't, it's funny involved. knowing about your taste and like watching some of your critical let's plays and watching you do some of your your kind of like your video series looking back on on some old games i should have i should have understood already that you were a sega person growing up it's a lot of dreamcast stuff it's so much dreamcast stuff and just like i feel like being a genesis kid predisposes you in a weird way to a certain sort of game i don't know maybe that's some part of me this is like completely off the cuff but some part of me thinks about the way genesis games and super nintendo games are are distinct uh is that it feels like super nintendo games resemble the current game like current like triple a game space a little bit more than genesis games do it's like there are a lot of experiments on the genesis that just i was gonna say experimental is probably a pretty good word for it yeah i mean you get a game like echo the dolphin right you don't really get that on you know super nintendo really you don't get a game where there are aliens and you go around as a dolphin and there are crystals like that that game is bizarre it's freakishly bizarre it's great but it's also really weird uh, and to be clear, that I'm not dissing the Super Nintendo, and I'm not no, even not really. At all, no. This is just we're just bullshitting here. I'm not even sticking by this claim. I just think there's something there, maybe. Yeah, I was neutral during the console wars, so you know I abstained. <laughs> that said, one of your favorite series is actually Metal Gear Solid. Uh, it is. Is that your favorite at this point, or is, is does that something else have that that title? Oh gosh, that's I know that's really... a hard thing. I was just thinking the other day, and you know, people ask me constantly, like, "What Austin? What's your favorite thing?" Or like, if you like Kotor two the most, what's your second favorite thing? And like, oh, I don't even want to. It's I, I understand that, but it's okay. What else is what's in its company? Oh, so honestly, um, so I talk about a lot with people the difference between my favorite games and best games, yeah. and I think I do it in the piece too. I think I mentioned that playing. Planescape Torment, I could barely talk. Yeah. Um, Planescape Torment is what I think is the best game that has yet been made. But my favorite game is Skies of Arcadia, which is a jumbled mess of JRPG trouble. Um, but also... Also fantastic and wonderful and earnest and right. broad and swashbuckling. And, and, and all of those gorgeous. things. That's a tough question, and I've like gone back and forth on it over the years, that kind of best versus favorite thing. I definitely... You know, part of me... Part it's of me become, completely understands what you mean because it's become less about series over time than it has been about um, specific creators. Oh, I would okay. think more huh. than anything else. Okay, 
Um, so for me, the, the kind of best versus favorite thing, the thing that makes it complicated is that as I get, you know, part of it is actually as I get more stable and more established as a critic, I'm more willing to say that I'm not interested in, in finding what is objectively the best thing. And I'm, and I'm more interested in highlighting all of those little weird edges that actually make something really unique. So like all of the, all of the bumps and bruises on skies of Arcadia that are completely there. You're completely not wrong. Maybe they just don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things when I'm talking about what is best. Uh, I don't know. We need, we would need another three hours to really have no, this conversation. And, and I have an idea. I have, it's one of the things that I want to write about and maybe, maybe even for you guys again, I have a whole idea about how games can be, um, sort of dishonest or mm. like really sincere. And I think the best games are out there are the ones that have a lot of sincerity to them. That's interesting. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because a couple of months ago, I, along with Jeff Bacalar from CNET interviewed Jonathan Blow, who yep. said that there had not been any truly authentic games before. And as I play The Witness right now, I have that in my mind pretty heavily. Uh, that's, a, that's a rough question, and I don't think that's hell true of a claim. at all. Me either, but, uh, me either, but it, you can certainly see how it, how it made him make the game he made. Oh, sure. Um, whether or not, yeah, it's a complicated one. Anyway, I want to try to stay, stay on topic oh, here. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, so what got you into, into Metal Gear? So, so obviously, again, Planescape Torment, best game, Skies yep. of Arcadia, favorite game. So but you do say Metal goes, Gear Solid, one of your favorite series. Yeah, so it all goes back to, again, always having a friend who would have stuff before me. Mm. So my friend had PlayStation Magazine, and I forget what issue it was, but it was just the demo for Metal Gear Solid. And I think all it was was going through the first entrance, getting onto the elevator, and yeah. then the outside of Shadow Moses. And I was pretty young then, so it took me a while to figure out what was going on. I didn't maybe comprehend as much that there was a stealth element to it. <laughs> um, so I remember that game in, in my brain so clearly and as I got a little older, I was like, well, I should revisit that if I remember it so much. And I did, and I realized that it's this amazing mix of, like, it wants to be, like, real politics stuff, and mm -hmm. then, like, it's sort of a military fetishist thing going on there a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's also, like, crazy anime stuff, like, yeah, it's and, a, it's and other a... stuff. It's this weird pastiche of all these things, and I, it's really fun. It's interesting how those things hold together and how at the time when I, so I played that when it first came out uh, mm -hmm. and I was like so into it. Like I was so, I was so highly anticipated. I, you know, I, I was going to a kind of a small school um, and we had a single computer in the, in not every classroom, but in the one, in, in like the, the eighth grade classroom. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a K through eight school and we had the one computer in a classroom. There were also like two in the library, but they were ancient. And so I made the desktop li the desktop wallpaper on our computer. Metal Gear? Uh, Metal Gear, not just Metal Gear, but there's like, there's, a, there's a one screen that had come out, or not even a screen, it was, a, it was a promotional material thing that was just like a, you know, five by eight grid or five by six grid or something of every character's portrait. Oh, wow. Uh, and I went into that, <laughs> into that, uh, that wall, or that wall, into that JPEG, I guess it was probably, and just typed in everyone's name from the class i assigned everyone in the class a metal what? gear solid character oh, i love it it was the it was the dorkiest bullshit oh, but it was so like great but it's all i wanted was a game that gave character prominence right like i at the even oh, sure. at the time i loved tv obviously you know i grew up watching cartoons and stuff 
And and for whatever, and obviously games had had character before that. I'd grown up on playing Final Fantasy and blah blah. blah. But, a, but a game with that much voice acting exactly. at the time too. Oh my god! Exactly. Because like, oh, this blows is, your mind. This is interested in characterization, and I want to have favorite character. Like I really want to have characters who I can hear in my head when I think about that game. And so I was I was just over the moon for it. Um, so did so you came in at the time that you came in? Had Metal Gear Solid Two already been released? I think it might have. And so you like I, went back I was, and, and well, like, I I definitely played the first one first. Okay. Um, and then it maybe didn't dawn at me as much when I was playing through Metal Gear Solid Two because I mean you're younger and you're not really thinking about yeah. games too comprehensively. Um, it doesn't really make sense. Like looking back, Metal Gear Solid Two, you have to play it with an understanding of the first Metal Gear Solid, or right, at I, least it really helps. It really helps. That's the so that's the basic almost. Uh, you have you read the James Howell driving off the map? It's one essay? of the best pieces of yeah. criticism that's ever been written i am i am right there with you it is why i write about games i've mentioned that a number of times really if you're still if you still haven't read it after hearing me say this this many times please go read it do you um, know that he's doing a series on uh, no more heroes right now i i do know that um yeah. and i i yeah I, i'm very excited for it actually we can, we can nerd about that we will nerd about that time. in the future he's also written about some of the other metal gear games he wrote about metal gear solid 4 for yep. i feel like one up Back right before it closed, maybe uh, right before Somewhere it shuttered there. its doors. I think he was embedded within like the second iteration of Metal Gear Online or something oh, as well. Wow, interesting. Um, but yeah, so the thesis of that whole piece is that is that Raiden is effectively a, a kind of stand-in for the player who has all these expectations because of the first Metal Gear game. Raiden, who has played through effectively the first Metal Gear game via VR training, and it's, I've, I'm, I'm, you say in this piece that Metal Gear Solid 2 is one of your favorite games, and it is up there for me, too, for that for that same reason. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, so coming into 5, then, you, were you anticipating it? Like, where were you at at that point? I was excited for it when I saw the trailer, but I, had I think five was the first time I ever had a lot of reservations, mm-hmm. um, and some of those reservations were sort of at the time at least really confirmed by some of the content within Ground Zeroes. Right. I don't think Grounds. I don't enjoy Ground Zeroes on like multiple different levels. I don't think it plays as well as Phantom Pain eventually does. Right. I think some of the story content there is um, kind of vulgar and unnecessary. Um, but when I saw the trailers for Phantom Pain, I got very excited again um, because it seemed like it was going to somber down a little bit, mm-hmm. which was a different, which was a little bit of a tonal shift for the series in the sense that it was the closest, so yeah, it was like anime as hell before, even when it was Metal Gear Solid Three, it was still yep. kind of super anime. And you know, Naked Snake and that game's really dorky. And then even in Metal Gear Solid Four, when crazy stuff is happening, it's still mm-hmm. really like it's very melodramatic. And Phantom Pain sort of seemed like it was going to be a little bit more low key, and to a certain extent, it is. But they still sneak in some of that craziness. Oh yeah, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Definitely. Um, so the other thing there for me though is that when I think about you coming into into five, is in the time between four. And then, and then, really around Ground Zeroes is when I first heard of you as a as a kind of an aspiring critic who then developed a YouTube uh, channel and and started doing some really great YouTube crit. And so, like, I've I'm, been writing for like a year. Okay, before before Ground Zeroes or before Phantom Pain. Um, all I know is that the first thing I ever wrote was something on PT. Oh, okay. So it kind of yeah, right in, in that there. weird wiggle room space between. Yeah. So so that's the thing I'm curious is like, do you think coming into Phantom Pain as a critic, 
affected your appreciation of of it or your your evaluation and kind of did it hit you different as a critic be, because you were a critic instead of just uh someone who's buying and playing games i think i was definitely approaching it first as a fan mm-hmm. i mean there's always whenever you're engaging with anything you you're doing it on multiple levels so like if you're a fan you have that sort of lens that you eventually have to get rid of um so i liked it sort of as a fan but looking at it critically i mean it was kind of like you're saying the first time I was sort of sitting down and really looking at something critically and more than anything else, Phantom Pain and other people have probably commented on this better than I could possibly do. Um, Phantom Pain doesn't say a lot with its narrative as compared to other games, but it says a lot with its systems, right? The whole base management mm-hmm. thing and how that's sort of about the really long cyclical lasting nature of war and mm-hmm. all of these things just managing soldiers and oh another one died on a mission well we have to replace them with another one that we've stolen off the battlefield <laughs> yeah i it's it's i i keep meaning to write this but i gesture towards it i think in my game of the year piece um or my game of the year list uh or maybe it wasn't in a list maybe it was maybe i wrote about the phantom pain on one of our one of our many game of the year awards and i mentioned sure. this i, I can't sure. quite remember but um the uh Oh, you know what? It was for it was for the piece I had on on the uncanny and coming home and stuff like that. That's what oh it was. yeah yeah. Uh, the thing for me about Metal Gear Solid Five, and and this is probably true for a lot of the Metal Gear Solid games, but there they tackle this moment in time between military power and kind of uh, managerial power, managerial control through data develop through development of data and, and yes. data collection and stuff like that. And none of them have done it as well, I think, as Metal Gear Solid V, where yes, there is this threat of of nuclear power, but the thing that ends up undermining nuclear power is a well managed, you know, oil rig. Is just like I have my crew and I'm managing them well. I have all of this data on them. I can I know who is a troublemaker. I can get rid of them. I can send them out on missions. I can I can gather uh, you know intelligence with them. And like that shift is so well executed in that game. Uh, and in that game, it even me- makes you more effective against your enemies, right? If totally. you understand where do you want to attack their supply lines. I mean, it's done very basically, but it's yep. still that idea of you know cut off this, cut off this, and then maybe these guys won't be wearing helmets during a mission so I can snipe them. Yeah, that stuff something. is all fantastic. It is all really good. Um, how did you feel about the game in general, though? Like, you know, you kind of, you, I don't want to say you dance around it in, in the piece for the site, um, but you you definitely, you kind of say, here's a single topic, the stuff with quiet, that that you had to come to terms with it being something you, you had to kind of care about because at first you kind of wanted to dismiss that. Um, and I think you, you handle that question really well. But, like, what do you actually think of Metal Gear Solid V Phantom Pain? In general, I enjoy it. Um, without getting into major spoilers, there's <laughs> yeah. stuff that happens near the end that I actually think is a nice, really interesting, almost like formal inversion of some stuff that happens in Metal Gear Solid 2 that mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Um, as a complete product, it's kind of messy. Yeah. Um, and that's me being like really kind to it. Um, if I wanted to like, let's just be honest, it's really incomplete and sort of jumbled. And the first half of the game is far more confident than the second half. Um, so I think, I think it hits a really high peak and then it crashes really hard, except for a couple choice moments near the end. Um, which is something I don't think generally happens in the trajectory of games in the series because usually the big revelations in those games build up build up build up yeah there's a lot of um slow ramping in those games here it just sort of hits a plateau and then stops so i i think 
maybe overall I'm a bit more disappointed in it than I probably let on in in my writing. <laughs> but I, I still, I mean, my goal whenever I'm writing about anything, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being highly critical of something. And at times I think it is necessary and um, welcome for other people or even myself or, or anyone, fans even, to look at something and really say like, no, this isn't working, this is bad, whatever it is. But I also think that it's important to sort of look at something and say, well, here are the things that kind of work right. and let's examine why these pieces are working. So if we understand why those things are working, we can sort of see why the other things have broken down. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think I'm I'm kind of always in that mode. And for whatever reason at Giant Bomb, I've gotten this... this um this re- reputation for being really positive, but I don't know that that's true so much as I'm just always looking to salvage something. Like, what can we, del- we you know, at the end of our, we've been doing these these videos where we play Kerbal, and whenever something disastrous happens, Alex sits back and says, all right, what did we learn? And I'm constantly in that mode as a critic where even if I really dislike something, I just, all right, like, what can we learn from this this complete mess? Like, what can we learn from this game that, that fails to live up to its promises? Or what, what can be salvaged here that I would like to take into, into my expectations for other games, either from those creators or in that genre or elsewhere in general? It's a um, two-way process, too. It's this thing where you have to always understand, and I think I talk about it a little in the piece, right? Like, you bring yourself to any work that yep. you are engaging with. I don't care if it's a painting. I don't care if you're watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't care what it is. No matter what you're doing, if it's a piece of created work, you bring a part of yourself to it, but you always take away something from it, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the big questions you have to ask yourself is, what exactly did I get from this? Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that you get isn't necessarily the question. It's just, what is it? What do I have now that I didn't have before after experiencing this thing? And that's a broad question, right? Like you're not you're not saying like what was the moral of the story. You're literally saying like what was the it could be it could be it could be a moral. It could be like oh you know what this this game made me think really hard about about nuclear power, or it could just be you know I I left this thing feeling better than it was better than it. You know, like, I felt like maybe mm-hmm. I was better than this game was. And that's that's a thing you could walk away. And it's not, again, it's not a, I'm not qualifying that. Again, I'm thinking a lot about The Witness right now, and, and that game really wants you to walk away with something. Uh-huh. I'm not sure I'm actually going to walk away with what it what it and Jonathan Blow want me to walk away. I, I don't think that I have either. <laughs> no, but I'm definitely walking away with something. Yes, and most people are. People's reactions... Um, insofar as what's happening in the discussion sphere, um, people's reactions are very clearly, not necessarily um, to one side or to the other, but they're very readily understandable. Like, you know where somebody stands on The Witness based upon what they've been saying about it. And I think one of the things that's been weird about The Witness, we have to not just dive into The Witness. I know. I want to so badly. But the last thing I will say is that I think it's it's fascinating that my, I kind of don't want to dismiss anyone's perspective on the witness, but I kind of think the witness is built such that it wants to dismiss almost everyone's perspective on the witness, or like it thinks there is a good there is a good perspective, and the other ones are all shadows of it or something. Well, it's the crazy thing with like, like getting back to the broad question of it. There's no invalid way to engage with an object so long as you're sort of engaging in good faith. Right, right? honestly, like, yeah. As long as you're just going in there and engaging on level, 
you know, with it and not sort of with preconceptions that are going to distort what you're thinking. There's no invalid conclusion that you can have to a piece of work. If somebody disagrees with you about something, it's fine. Let them right. disagree with you or better yet, listen to their disagreements and sort of learn from that yeah, and, and have a discussion a if you can. Like don't – and it's sort of like what I say in the piece vaguely. It's, you know, if somebody disagrees with something that you are playing and you have a strong – feeling of maybe ownership over this game because you've invested yourself so much in that series or whatever it is. Um, it's easy to get defensive. It really is. Yeah. Um, but the more important thing is that you're able to step back and sort of say, okay, m- maybe they do have a point, maybe they don't, but at least I'm going to hear what you know this other person is going to say. And that's not a demand to then change based on, on the criticism being brought to, brought to the table, right? No, like you, you could absolutely dismiss it. Um, but you should still listen to it. Yeah, that's definitely, that's kind of the ideal with criticism for me is, hey, like you and I both are going to bring something to the table and we're both going to do our best to not only bring the thing to the table, but also be aware of what else we're secretly bringing to the table, right? Like what our personal experiences are, what our expectations are, what we want from this thing, what we're cool with, right? Like it, it is, it is we should be knowledgeable of of what it is that that we expect from games and and what it is that we are allowing uh and then like when i get to talk to someone like you or i get to read your work then i get to say like okay given everything i have i've brought to the table given everything that that i know i'm all the weight i'm carrying around with me all of my own preconceived notions how can i integrate what heather is saying or or what any other critic is saying into what my understanding of this game is, you know? Exactly. And, and it's really, like, for me, that's a fun thing, I, and, and I don't think that's a thing for everybody necessarily, but, I, but I, I think you should try it. I think you should really try, really, you know, I, I do my best to read stuff from people who I don't agree with, but who I think yes. do their best to argue oh their gosh, points. that's super and it's, important. It's so important. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where I stand on this stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else uh, people should know about you? Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, Twitter, it's at TransGamerThink. My website is TransGamerThoughts.com. If you're listening to this and you're just thinking about writing as something you want to do, please do it. Just just get a blog, yeah. write, do something. And if, if you're if you're someone who has experience writing and is would like to also contribute talk to, to Austin. Giant Bomb, yep, there's a there's a story on the website right now. If you do a search for Giant Bomb guest contributors um, on on Google or any other search engine, it should pop up. It'll be under the news category, um, in which I explain what this is. What this is, is I just realized, hey, there might be some people out there who subscribe to this feed but who don't get to visit the site very often. Exactly. So, so, uh, so I'm that's sure a little info knows. on that. We're, we're bringing on a few a few guest contributors. Our first one was Greg Kasavin, former editor in chief of Gamespot, so currently working at uh, Super Giant. Super Giant, creative director at Super Giant. Um, so, so go there and, and make sure you read his column also, and, and make sure you go to the site and, and read Heather's column uh, as soon as possible, because it's really good. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. I've, this, the whole opportunity and this whole process, like you said, it's been a long time, and mm-hmm. I'm, so exci- I'm so excited that it's happening. And I, I owe a lot to you and to Jeff and to everybody else. Thanks so much. Thank you.